I'm Jolie, your branding badass, and welcome to my new podcast, Branding Matters. Today I'm sitting down with Shane Wenzel, the president of Shane Homes, one of the largest and most recognized home builders in Calgary, Canada. Shane Homes is not your typical home builder, and Shane Wenzel is definitely not your typical president of a multi-million dollar company. I invited Shane to be a guest on my show to learn how a home builder goes to market to become an award-winning brand. I was curious to learn more about the man behind all those amazing social media videos, and I also wanted to discuss the impact COVID is having on the home building industry and get to his point of view on what new homes will look like in a post-COVID world. Shane, welcome to Branding Matters. Thanks for having me. Well, it's great having you here. I'm super excited. Let's just get right into it. Your dad, Cal, co-founded Shane Homes in 1979 with his partner, Barry. How do you pronounce his last name? Is it Basil? Barry Balsilli. Balsilli. Okay. And they decided to name the company after you, which is pretty impressive. So how did they decide on that? And how old were you when they named it after you? Well, you know, I was quite young. The reason they got named after me is Cal was the majority partner. He owned 75% of the company and Barry owned 25%. But uh, little known fact. Was Barry had always said from day one, he said, if I can financially retire when I'm 55, I'm going to do that. I guess that was part of the conversation right up front that, you know, Cal said, well, if you're going to retire at that point, then, you know, I want a lasting name and I want to create a legacy. And Barry didn't have a problem with that. You were very young. How old? You were a toddler or how old were you? <laughs> I wish I was a toddler. I, well, I don't know. I'm I was just a, curious. I was about seven years old when, uh, when that all came about. So. Okay. So you're pretty young and you have siblings, right? How many siblings do you have? I have one half-brother and two half-sisters. And you're the baby. I am the baby. So how did they feel when he named him after you? I mean, four kids, and they said, we're going to name our new company Shane. Because <laughs> I have siblings, I can tell you. I have three siblings, and if my dad decided to name it after one of us, I don't know how the others would react. So how did they react to it? Uh, I think they were uh, they were a little put off maybe in the beginning, but you know when uh, when you don't want any involvement in the company, my brother didn't want any involvement with it. My two sisters, while well, one of them worked for the company for a number of years, and now she's enjoying time, you know, being able to well not so much to be able to travel now, but yeah. She's enjoying time with being a grandma and the other is actually only working part-time now. We're all at different stages in our lives and I'm nowhere close to being a grandfather, nor do I want to be. So how old were you when you joined the family business? I was actually 14 years old. I think what it came down to was that I'm 14, company was young and my father, uh, you know, just kind of looked at me one summer and said, you're not going to sit in your ass all summer. We need help in the field and you're going to go out there and you're going to work. So I started as a construction assistant, cleaning out basements, laying patches blocks, just doing all the odds and sods jobs around the job site. And I still remember John Hearshop would show up at the house at about 7, 7.30, pick me up and uh, he would give me my work for the day. And I could be done at three. I could be done at 4.30. I could be done at six o'clock. All I know is that we weren't going home until John was done his job <laughs> during the day. So lots of times you get home at six o'clock and it, that's the way it was all summer is repeat, repeat, repeat. That's where you get to learn a lot about it. Working full time, I, uh, I think it was almost 19 years old when that happened. 
because I had spent the first six months of my adult career working for my mother in market research. Oh, really? Was your mom working in the family business as well with your dad or where was she working? Actually, wasn't working full time in the family business, although we did share office space with her. That's what kind of kept her involved. So she kind of managed HR for us at the time, but she was executive vice president of the company, but she had her own business. That's how things kind of worked out there. I was a research assistant for the first six months of my career working for her. Market research, you get to go through and highlight every 1500th name in the phone book, yeah. <laughs> put it on a contact sheet for the call. Oh, no kidding. That came in later on that night and did calls on. That's crazy. So let's go back to when you were 14 for a second, because I think that's really great. My son is actually 14 and I have a friend of mine who is a developer and he actually helped him this past summer and work at a job site. I dropped him off and he picked him up and, you know, I think that's really good. Now, did you get paid to do it? Oh, I got paid to do it. Yeah, it was great having a paycheck. It was just really the shits not having <laughs> having most of your summer to hang out with your friends. But my father didn't want that. He just said, you know, you need to work. You need to understand what it's like in the real world. And this is how you start. Because I had right. two very entrepreneurial parents. Being the youngest in the family and youngest by a long margin, because the closest I come to any of my siblings is nine years difference. You can imagine what the conversations were around the uh, kitchen table over dinner. You know, mm -hmm. I got two parents talking about business, marketing, sales. So you do pick up a lot by osmosis. Yeah, definitely. Tell us a little bit about your dad. It's quite a great story. He was born in Saskatchewan, but lived most of his life, a younger life rather, down in Medicine Hat. And my grandparents and, uh, and his brother uh, lived there for a number of years, but the boys would go to school and my grandfather would go to work. And uh, my What did your grandfather do? Oh, he was a, uh, a heavy duty mechanic. Evenings when they came home, they'd sit down for dinner because my grandmother was a homemaker and him and the boys would go and lay cinder blocks or basements. And that was kind of their childhoods. <laughs> and uh, they did that for a number of years. And then eventually he got some job opportunities that took him out of Medicine Hat and towards Calgary. His last career was actually working for a Jimmy Patterson company here in Calgary called Neonex Shelter. And they uh, they built mobile homes and Gal was the, uh, the sales manager at one point and the VP of sales and marketing. And one meeting, Jim Patterson showed up into town for their annual meeting and he asked the question of his executive, what should we do with this thing? What's going on. And my father just said, you know, your margins are dropping, your market share is growing. He says, I'd shut it down. He and talked himself out of his job, but <laughs> okay. he was the only honest one around the table. So his severance was larger than the, the executive. So brought his best buddy, Barry Balsley along, who was his sales manager there. And that's how the company got started. Okay. And so how old was your dad at the time? Oh, geez. He would have been late thirties at that point. So pretty young still to do yeah. that. You started there and then sounds like you weren't handed anything. It sounds like they made you work to get to where you are today? No, I was a marketing assistant under my father and that took a number of years to work through that. And then I uh, I became the, uh, I think the marketing manager after about six or seven years. And I finally got to hire my first employee. We had a marketing team of two. And then <laughs> I became the director of marketing at one point and hired another person and they were more graphic design and eventually a little more web design. And then I became the vice president of sales and marketing. So, I mean, it took a long time to kind of 
role through that. There was never a guarantee that I was going to be president of the company. I had to earn that role, according to my father. So it took a number of years to get up to that lofty level. Looking back now, are you happy that you weren't handed it and that you actually had to work to get where you are today? Does it mean more to you? Yes, it does. Of course it does, because it's not something it should be handed to you. I did eventually take some courses and some university courses as well, just to kind of close the gap. A lot of things were changing. Uh, you know, keeping in mind, when I started, we were putting classifieds in the newspaper, and that's how you advertise. What's a newspaper? <laughs> For all those young people listening. What's a classified ad? Well, yeah, exactly. It's that big and about that wide. Yeah. And- you know, approval for that was uh, every Wednesday by noon and uh, you had to have the copy in and everything. And that's how we would advertise. The world of marketing grew because all of a sudden now we have home sections in, in the newspapers. And by 1996, we produced our first ever website, which yeah. my father harassed me for eight years as to why we have this, why we're sticking money into it every year. So. Oh, you're kidding. So he uh, he wasn't on board at the beginning. No, he wasn't on board in the beginning at all. He did the same thing to me with social media a number of years ago. It takes him a while, but eventually he comes around to it. He just doesn't understand it. And especially now, he just can't really understand how things have changed and how the, uh, the world of sales and marketing has morphed into COVID over the past year. Oh, yeah, definitely. How old is your dad, if you don't mind me asking? Cal just turned 77 years old. He'll be 78 in 2021. Okay. He comes in every day. I know. He's a hard worker. It's very impressive. Um, so my dad died back in 1999 and he had his own business and he worked up until the day he died. Same thing. He couldn't retire and he was older. He was 79 when he died. But, you know, the world wasn't nearly where it is today and I never forget him always talking about when they first came out with fax machines and he used to say to me, he used to say to me, I can't believe I can put a paper in here and it comes out in Toronto and they can read it. And I always talk to my kids about what's going on in the world today with technology. You mentioned your dad. I'm like, his head would explode. So I'm not surprised that your dad is sort of resistant. Well, you know what? And he wasn't always that way. Uh, when fax machines came out, he saw the benefits of it. So he got one in his home mm-hmm. office. Barry got one in his home office. All the show homes had these things. So he was very kind of progressive that way. When computers really came online and we were able to digitize part of our process, he wasn't too keen on that. He was a little reluctant. So he was still doing faxes. And to date, I mean, he still doesn't have... This is not video, so people won't know you just held up an iPhone. Yeah. <laughs> so I, sometimes I have people get... I have guests on and they do hand gestures and it's like nobody knows and we're talking. So he, that was an iPhone that he just held up that your dad that was doesn't have one. <laughs> yeah. Oh, That's but awesome. he's got a uh, He's got a cell phone in his vehicle and if you can't get him in his home office or you can't get him in this office or you can't get him in his vehicle, you can't get a hold of him. And he probably likes that, right? He likes that. He yeah. pretends, you know, we don't harass him about it. We just <laughs> have to help him out on occasion. Oh, that's great. What do you think is the most oh. valuable lesson you've learned from Cal working as far as business him. goes? Working with him can be fun at times and sometimes it can be stressful. You know that I get away with some things that other people wouldn't and largely because we don't agree on everything and that is okay because I have a different vision. I have a different management style. So it's, uh, it, I think it's actually a good match. But I will credit him with really kind of giving me my best business lesson probably about six months into my career. And we talk about those classified ads in the newspaper. Well, I needed his help. I needed his confirmation on uh, on some of these because he left me on my own to do them. And I panicked because I wasn't confident in everything that was going in the paper. And I'd actually missed that deadline because I couldn't get a hold of him. I couldn't get him to confirm it. So I thought it was better to just leave it. Boy, was that a mistake. And I learned that one pretty quick because when he came in the next day, I was mad. And I kind of let him have it. And finally, when he calmed me down, he just said, look. 
I don't always make the right decisions, but at least I made a decision. And that one's always stuck with me because like he said, he says, because you didn't get those ads out on the weekend, we missed opportunities. We likely could have picked up a couple of sales. It didn't matter if they were a hundred percent right, but as long as they were out there, we can deal with, you know, the wrong message or the, the wrong price. But the fact that you didn't get them out was the bigger mistake. So he says, all I ask you to do is make a decision and own it. So ever since then now, are you better at making decisions? Because oh, you always have that in the back of your mind. I always have that in the back of my mind. Yeah. I even, though, even though I'll make a decision, he'll come back and he'll question me on it. <laughs> Don't, Don't forget. Don't with me, but at least I made the decision, right? No kidding. Well, that's a great story. It's things like that that stick with you. Okay, so let's talk about the Shane Holmes brand. How would you distinguish your brand? What, how would you describe it? And how would you say you guys are different than other home builders? I mean, you could you could use a broad statement and just say, I guess we're a community builder. We're a city builder and a dream builder. And I guess really what that comes back to is our values. We're very proud of the values that we created within the company. And that started a number of years ago under Cal and Edith. And they've just kind of evolved as uh, as the company's grown up over the years. We value our people. We value our trade partners. We value our customers. And we don't just say that. We actually mean it because we have a customer experience intent. And that just defines what we do every day for them. Can you elaborate a little bit on the customer experience? Because I think right now we're living in a time where customer experience is huge. You know, I love that you said that. What is it specifically that Shane Home does for their customers? You know, I'm the first one to sit there and say, we're not going to be the cheapest homes out there because we want the best quality. We want the best value. We want the best experience for our customers. We want them to have a fun time building a new home. It really shouldn't be stressful. It should be fun. And when you have your staff aligned that way, when you have your partners aligned that way, they know what they have to do to keep the customer happy. What would you say people say about the Shane Homes brand? I think exactly that. We're that community builder. We're that city builder. We're that dream builder. That's what I think people would say about us. So what about Shane the man? What would <laughs> let's talk about I mean it is your it is your legacy. So what would what do you think people say about you? What's your brand? What do you think they say and then what would you like them to say? How about that? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think the two really align. I think what they would say is that he's someone who cares. He's someone who can have a real conversation with somebody who's prepared to share his knowledge. And that's how I would like, I guess, to be remembered. Do you think yeah. that's what they say when you're not there? Boy, I hope so. <laughs> Whoever's listening, can you make sure and let us know? Well, I mean, that's a good legacy to have, definitely. Staying on the personal note for a second, you are an openly gay man. You came out at 42, which some people might say is relatively late in life. Just to back up for a little bit, the reason I know this is because how you and I connected, I should share this, you did a post on LinkedIn, I think it was just before Christmas, and you were challenging people to post pictures of themselves with their children, I think, or family members. Yeah. And you were going to donate to the LBGTQ community, correct? Someone actually sent me your, I didn't even see it. Somebody sent it to me and said, hey, check this out. And I was blown away. I was really impressed by that. (laughs) So I put a picture because my son is gay and he's 14, sorry, he's not 14. He's my, he's 17. Yeah, he's, he, he's the older one. I posted on your post and I said, oh, here's my, it wasn't a Christmas picture, but my son also does drag. So I posted a picture of him in drag and I said, well, here's my son. I'm so impressed with what you're doing and, you know, kudos to you. And then I think I sent you a message and then we start, and I said, you know, that was a great post you did. And I was really impressed. And, yeah. and then you and I connected that way. And that's sort of how we are here today because of that. <laughs> 
because then I got to learn a bit about you. Yeah. And I was really, really impressed with that. So, you know, as I said, so you're very open about it. You share with me that you were 42 when you came out. What was that like for you both personally and professionally? Both were a real challenge, you know, and I, uh, I had been married for 14 years and I have a son and one day I'm divorced and, you know, I, I think I spent about a year making him comfortable with everything that had gone on. And you sit there on your couch and you try to get yourself back into the dating world and you kind of stare and say, well, God, I've always had these feelings and I honestly never wanted them. And uh, you, you kind of sit there and you reflect back over your life and you're sitting there saying, well, I mean, this is the ultimate reset button. So what do you do? Yeah. How, uh, how real or really how authentic do you want to be? And things just kind of ex- I don't even want to say exploded from there, but they really kind of took off. And I met my partner, Matt, online probably about a year later. And uh, eventually he moved in. And we just, we had a lot of these very candid conversations, which helped push me even further. Personally, I mean, coming out to my family was relatively easy, you know, a little bit bumpy at times because you're worried about what they're going to say, what they're going to do on how that'll affect your life from that point on. Now I had great encouragement from Matt and that kind of opened things up. And I guess when it came to coming out officially. It was just done over a Facebook post over the Christmas holidays. Kind of looked at it and said, here's a picture of Matt and I. Merry Christmas. Happy to have my partner here. And that way everybody could have their conversations about it over the holidays and then we could kind of get going on with life in January. And that's really the way it worked out. That's a great story. Who would you say was the hardest person to tell at a personal level? Yeah, I think your parents are always the hardest to tell because they know you one way most of your life and then all of a sudden you're kind of dropping this on them that, hey, I've always had these feelings and, you know, I'm more comfortable this way than any other way and really hope you still love me. And yes, both of them do. Of course. Yeah. That's amazing. It always that's helps beautiful. when you have a partner that's uh, that's accepted as well. And, uh, you know, and, and Matt does his part too. Yeah. But the, I think the biggest challenge came professionally because you're always worried mm-hmm. about how is that going to affect the relationships you have in the industry and outside of the industry in general. And, yeah, I think it was Matt who said to me at one point in time, someday, one day, you're just going to kind of wake up and say, out oh, of hell with it. I don't care what people think. And, you know, and that's all there is to it. And he was right, you know, because it just didn't matter after a while. Yeah. Know, getting over the family was easiest and then uh, kind of letting other people know here and uh, within the industry help. But finally, you just sit there and say, the hell with it. This is who I am. I'm not going to go back in the closet for anyone. And life yeah. goes on. Good for you. You know, I find it so sad. I have people that still come up to me and say, you know, you're such a good mother and that's so amazing for your son. And I just, I couldn't imagine not. You know what I mean? Like they're your child and you love them and you accept them no matter what. I think that's great that your parents uh, and your family and everybody accepted you. And then to go publicly like that with a bang, so to speak, <laughs> that's awesome. Was there any backlash as far as the Shane Holmes brand go? Because Cal and Edith, they come from a pretty conservative background, right? Small town right. and then Alberta's pretty conservative. So how did that affect the brand or did it? I think the thought crossed my mind for maybe five minutes. And I, again, I was back to the hell with it. Although I'm gay, I'm in a relationship. I love Matt to death. My son does too. And this is just normal. Has had an ill effect on, on things, on some people. Well, then I guess they have something to deal with. I don't. Yeah, absolutely. And really, I mean, one thing that seems to come up a lot when I'm having conversations with a lot of people right now is how important authenticity is when it comes to branding, right? Mm -hmm. And especially right now, everybody's online, social media, and the more authentic you are, the more you can connect with your audience. And I think it's only going to bring people closer. So do you feel it's actually had a positive effect? Like you being, so you're on social media right now, you do... 
videos. I mean, you're honestly, I think the, that I know of, you know, the only president of a multi-million dollar corporation that gets on and does these live videos. Mm-hmm. How has that impacted the Shane Holmes brand and the business? Do you find you're getting good feedback from that? Yeah, we do get some good feedback from it, but that was more of a challenge from our marketing team. <laughs> but a year ago, uh, everything that was going on, that to me was easy because I had been on social media for 11 years. I was the one that helped initiate it here in the company. As you can see, this was a valuable marketing tool going forward. But where they challenged me was they said, we could really use your support. We could really use your help. Of course, you're sitting there saying, well, yeah, I guess I could because things are a little quieter. You know, as we lock everything down, you know, people are kind of stopped and stunned. And what the hell do I do now? What were you doing on social media before your communications department said, we need your help? You said you were on it years ago. What were you doing? I probably, you know, just having fun. Oh, so you weren't doing (laughs) it. It wasn't for business. You were just on it personally. Yeah, more so for kind of learning from it. When you start off 11 years ago, there really isn't a guidebook as to how this thing works. So you kind of learn through some of the blunders that you make and uh, some of the good posts, some of the bad posts. And then you really begin to kind of realize the power of it. And I was actually getting some good knowledge from it because, you know, people would give their opinions on housing and what have you. We'd have customers track me down and send messages that way. And, you know, some were good, some weren't so good. But you could really see that this was a a phenomenal communication tool that we we weren't utilizing. When the team asked for help, I'm like, well, sure, I can do it. I don't know what I'm going to do or how I'm going (laughs) to do it. Just point me in the right direction and tell me what to do. All I told him is I said, you know, I'm not going to sit on there and, you know, talk about housing all the time because I said, that's going to get boring after a while. That's your job and I can help support it. I said, I have to do something different. And they're fun. You're engaging with your audience. And this episode of Branding Matters is brought to you by Gems for Gems. Gems for Gems is a proactive charity focused on ending the cycle of domestic abuse. They do this by creating viable and sustainable paths forward for survivors. With a concentration on empowerment and economic recovery, Gems for Gems works hand-in-hand with the community to help survivors thrive. What can you do to help? Well, if you have any used jewelry lying around that you no longer wear, and let's be honest, we all have some of that, you can donate it to their jewelry drive. If you have any spare time and you want to find a way to give back, this is a great opportunity and you can join their ambassador program. I personally am a part of this ambassador program because I am all about empowering women and this is a great opportunity to do just that. And then finally, if you'd like to contribute financially, you can become a donor to their incredible scholarship program. Whichever way you decide to help, just know that you are making a huge difference and your contribution is meaningful and greatly appreciated. To learn more about Gems for Gems, you can visit their website at gemsforgems.com. You can also find them on Facebook under Gems for Gems and on Instagram under Gems for Gems Canada. And you can always reach out to me on any social media platform under Branding Badass. And now back to our show. So let's talk about COVID because we would mm-hmm. be remiss not to. How has that affected your business and the home building business as a whole? I think it's affected it in a good way and in a big way. You know, I don't want to use the word pivot because I've learned to hate that word. <laughs> There's now, a drinking do- game. You know, every time you say pivot, you take a shot. <laughs> I do have some alcohol over there. On yeah. the- 
<laughs> no, I think where it's good is that you always kind of envision what the future could be for home buying because traditionally, for example, when I started 31 years ago, there used to be about roughly eight or nine subdivisions in Calgary with multiple uh, show home locations within them. And people used to make a weekend drive out of that. So we used to have 30,000 couples go out to our show homes in a, mm-hmm. in, a, in a given year. And you'd seen the traffic drop over the years as websites became more prevalent. People spent more time uh, shopping that way. So all COVID did was really kind of accelerate all of that into new kind of normal for shopping for houses. So on our website now, you know, you had to add in virtual tours. Fortunately, we were already ahead of that. Uh, we had a huge digital shift in our marketing plan start on December of 2019. So this was relatively easy to put into place. But then all of a sudden, now you're digitizing, working towards digitizing your whole process. So literally, if your salespeople had to, they could sell it from the couch of their own home. And throughout COVID, we actually have had a couple of customers buy houses strictly from us online. They haven't even gone into the show hall. That's yeah, amazing. So uh, we're just digitizing the process even more. We have our salespeople on, on social media and learning how to respond in different methods rather than just picking up the phone or sending a quick email. I mean, they're having to evolve with the times now. Definitely. I mean, I think everybody's changing the way they do business. It's funny. I saw you did a post and you were asking about the home gym in the house. Yeah. I can tell you that I never wanted a home gym. I love going to the gym. You know, that's sort of like been a social thing for me. I go early. My boyfriend and I go together and mm-hmm. then the gym's closed. And what I would give for a home gym right now, we were talking about the other day and saying how, you know, we got another place or we moved home gym now is going to be as important as my home office. So how do you find designing of your homes, how COVID has affected that and what people are now wanting that they maybe didn't want pre-COVID? They want it all. No, and it's (laughs) on their lifestyle. Well, it's a good thing you can offer it all, isn't it? (laughs) We have people moving out of the core out to suburbia because they want a backyard. They didn't have a backyard living in their condominium. But with people having the available option of working out of their home, now they need more space because they need that home office. Jumping back to the backyard is being able to get out there for fresh air, but having that functional space, it doesn't have to be huge, but just to get out, sit on the patio furniture, have a barbecue and relax out there is a huge, huge thing. Yeah. When I started 31 years ago, I I always said people bought houses for investment. Because they had to have that traditional living room, dining room, family room combination, you know, that age old house where it was a two story split and we, we sold hundreds of them. And now more than ever, people are buying homes to live in. And work in. Live in and work in. <laughs> and work out in. <laughs> yeah. Well, they want that. They want the gym. They want the home theater. They, oh. I don't want to call it cocooning because that's, uh, that's an old term and that never really happened. But, you know, they want to get more out of that space. Why don't you want to call it cocooning? Did you ever read the Faith Popcorn book many years ago about that? That's exactly who I was thinking. Of. Right. See, you and I are about the same uh, age. That's why. But yeah. I mean, isn't that what we're doing? You are, but you aren't. I think Faith Popcorn thought more or less that yeah, you would cocoon at home. But so you were basically going from the office back home and you wouldn't even go out to movies. Well, people still go out. They still have to get out for that entertainment value and they have to get out for that experience. Right now, they're not able to, but eventually they will. You know. But you don't think that's going to change? You don't think going to movies is going to change? I could be wrong. I don't think so. I think people still, especially now, uh, they're into a lockdown situation that they they want to get out because you've taken away all their entertainment options. Even now, you know, I mean, yes, the movie theaters are open, but there's nothing new coming up. Right. I think people are desperate to get out, actually, right? (laughs) I think the first time you and I ever talked, you were saying, I can't wait till I can get out. Well, you can only take the dog for a walk so often. You know, going to the grocery store is not like going to the Emmys. 
Yeah, no, for sure. It's very mundane after a while and then you need different entertainment options. So yeah, I think they will. I think they will go back, you know, even for that, you know, just window shopping at the mall. I think people will go for that because they miss it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, I, I there's definitely been a, a rise in more people spending more time at home. I mean, I know we're forced to do it, but there's been, you know, it's been all over the news that there's a lumber shortage because the housing market and the re- renovation market, we actually had a new pergola built this summer for our backyard just to spend more time out there. And because we, have, I think people are spending more time in their homes than ever before. Oh, sure they are. So how do you think with the changing that's going on in the building of your homes, how do you think your branding will change to meet that or to match that? What will you do differently? I mean, you talked about being more in the digital space. Mm -hmm. Are there other things that you see changing? Well, the digital space is going to be the biggest one. The way people communicate is really going to be another and kind of updates they expect because they're, they're maybe not ready to or they're not able to go out to the sites all the time to see the progress of their homes. So they're going to want to see that. And uh, we have to be able to accommodate that. So you're on LinkedIn. Are you on TikTok? <laughs> Me personally, yeah. I have it. I haven't used it, but yeah, I'm, on Twitter. I'm on uh, LinkedIn. I'm on Instagram. I'm on YouTube. Uh, Facebook account, but primarily for, uh, you know, just for the company. And yeah. Okay. I, they leave me alone there, but they're. Uh, <laughs> I'm the waiting market. for the day I see you do a dance on TikTok. <laughs> 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 I, I'm surprised your uh, young communications team hasn't tried to get you to go on there. So I know, um, I know. Well, it's not to say that they haven't, uh, haven't been bugging me. About oh. <laughs> they are young. I don't think anybody's over, uh, over 30 there. So. Right. I know. That's what you mentioned. That's funny. Um, well, Shane, it's been so nice talking to you. I mentioned this to you the first time we talked. You have such a calming voice and your whole persona is just so calm. I think we're a real contrast because I'm super excited. So you you kind of bring me down, which is kind of not not down, sorry, in a negative way. I mean, more in a calm way. Calm so you, you, My mother says the same thing. Oh, yeah. You have a very calm voice. So I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me today and um, sharing some of your information about your brand and Shane Holmes and your family and being so open and vulnerable. I really appreciate that too, because you know what, if there's, I'm even though you're open and I'm open and I think we're getting progressive in that way, there's still yeah. a lot of people that aren't. So if you can inspire other to really be their authentic self, that is huge. So I applaud you for that. Well, thank you very much. I'll keep doing that because we should be more open and authentic. Exactly. And because, you know, for people like yourself, it, it's easier for someone like my son, who is, was 12 when he came out, actually, to do that, right? Because he sees you. So thank you. Um, if people want to learn more about you and about Shane Holmes, what's the best way for them to get a hold of you? Go on to Shane Wenzel at whatever, and you're probably going to find me. Even for okay. homes, we have this lovely website, but they're on every channel out there, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, YouTube, you name it, they're there. Okay, great. Well, thank you again. I really appreciate it. Good luck with everything. And right. I look forward to meeting you in person one day. And we will as soon as we can get past this. That sounds great. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you very much. Okay, bye. Bye. And there you have it. I really hope you enjoyed the conversation and maybe learned a few things to help you with your branding. But most of all, I really hope you had some fun. This show is a work in progress, so please make sure to rate and review on whatever platform you listen to. And if you want to learn more about the branding badass, that's me, you can find me on social media under, you know it, branding badass. 
Thanks again. And until next time, here's to all you badasses out there. Bye.